If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Isaiah 22. Today's message is entitled, Everything But God. And you'll see why I titled the message that way, based on what Isaiah is addressing for the nation of Judah, and how I think some of these things can apply to us today. Now, we're several weeks into this Isaiah series now, and we're just getting started. And uh, looking forward as we continue to walk through this. But this message here, there's going to be a little bit of a heaviness to it. Uh, but I'm trusting the Lord guiding us through this, that He has some things that He wants to say to us today through the power and the anointing of His Word. And as we break that down, I'm going to ask that the Lord would guide me in sharing this message with you. So would you please pray with me before we uh, begin our time in the Word together. Father, I thank You for Your Word it is inerrant, it is infallible, it's inspired by your Spirit. And so, Lord, as we dig into your Word right now, please speak to us, guide us, show us things in our life that you desire to minister to. Lord, as we look at what Isaiah was sharing to the nation of Judah, the warning and the call and all the things that are at play here, help us to hear these things and apply them into our own lives. Please bless this time together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 22, starting in verse 1. We're going to get right into this passage here. The Bible says, This, is, this message came to me, this is Isaiah, concerning Jerusalem, the valley of vision. What is happening? Why is everyone running to the rooftops? The whole city is in a terrible uproar. What do I see in this reveling city? Bodies are lying everywhere, killed not in battle, but by famine and disease. And all your leaders have fled. They surrendered without resistance. The people tried to slip away, but they were captured too. That's why I said, leave me alone to weep. Do not try to comfort me. Let me cry for my people as I watch them being destroyed. Oh, what a day of crushing defeat. What a day of confusion and terror brought by the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, upon the valley of vision, or Jerusalem. The walls of Jerusalem have been broken, and cries of death echo from the mountainsides. Elamites are the archers with their chariots and charioteers. The men of Kir hold up the shields. Chariots fill your beautiful valleys, and charioteers storm your gates. Judah's defenses have been stripped away. You run to the armory for your weapons. You inspect the breaks in the walls of Jerusalem, and you store up water in the lower pool. You survey the houses and tear some down for stone to strengthen the walls. Between the city walls, you build a reservoir for water from the old pool, but you never ask for help from the, for the one who did this. You never considered the one who planned this long ago. At that time, the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies, called you to weep and mourn. He told you to shave your heads in sorrow for your sins and to wear clothes of burlap to show your remorse. But instead, you dance and you play, you slaughter cattle and kill sheep, you feast 
on meat and drink wine, and you say, Let's feast and drink, for tomorrow we die. The Lord of heaven's armies has revealed this to me. It says, Till the day you die, you will never be forgiven for this sin. That is the judgment of the Lord, the Lord of heaven's armies. Okay, let's unpack this, all right? And we're going to unpack this from a couple different standpoints. Okay, the first one is recognizing that Isaiah is speaking on behalf of the Lord to the nation of Judah. So we need to recognize that first and foremost. But then as I was walking through this and seeing some of these things that were being spoken to Judah, I think there's a message for all of us here today. Whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ, whether you've been a believer for five minutes in this service, or you've been a believer for 50 years, there's application in what I'm about to break down. And if you're sitting here and you're listening to me right now and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, there's tremendous application for you with this passage today. So I want to encourage us all to lean in, not only glean what God was saying through Isaiah to Judah, but also glean what are you saying to me today, God? What are things that you want me to do based on what is being shared from this passage? The first section I want to address, we'll call it destruction. That's a real cheerful thing to address today. But there is a warning going on here in Isaiah 22, verses 1 through 8. And this destruction that's coming to the nation of Judah is a bit debated on what exactly is going to take place as far as in history when this is happening. It's debated that this is either the Assyrian invasion of 701 B.C. or it's the actual Babylonian conquest about 120-some years later. Okay? Judah would be defeated by Babylon and taken into captivity. So what event are we speaking about prophetically? There is debate there. Some think it would be uh, Assyria, but I, Isaiah would also say that uh, there's going to be a moment where they're not completely defeated by Assyria. That's actually when uh, Babylon comes in. But there's a warning of the coming destruction. Something needs to change because this is what is coming to you as a nation. So you see that from Isaiah to the nation of Israel. But let's talk about that for a second for our lives. Without Christ, we're doomed. Would you agree with that? Yeah. We're born sinners. We live in a sin-cursed world. And if we don't take care of that issue of being sinners who are separated from God, destruction is what lies ahead. Not only does Satan want to steal, kill, and destroy our lives, but he also wants to take people to the pit of hell. That after we live this life, he wants you to be forever separated from God in this place of torment. And if you're in Christ, this touches on some things here. How many of you know that poor choices lead to some poor circumstances? 
Can anybody relate with me on that? Have you ever made something, a decision in your life, and then you regret making that decision? Okay. So, to some degree, there's a warning here. These were God's people. And they were making poor choices. And there were some really heavy things that were coming their way because of their decisions. And so it would do well for us to try to listen to God's voice and not only listen, but to obey and to apply these things. What's interesting here is Isaiah addresses false security. In verses 8 through 11, you see this emphasized. The nation of Judah did not look to God for its protection. It looked to all these other things, and all the work that they had done was pointless because they never asked God for help. What they had was a false security. I want to walk through some of these things. They had a big armory full of all kinds of weapons. And they thought, we're okay because we have this armory. We can protect ourselves. Well, that didn't turn out very well for them. One of the things they do is destroy homes that are in the city in order to fortify their city walls. Think of that. Imagine if that was your home. Hey, by the way, we're going to take your home out so that we can secure our nation. And they try to build up these walls. They fortify these walls. And the removal of these homes gives them better access to the walls. They're thinking through these things in their own human mind. This is how we're going to protect our city. We've got the armory. We're destroying homes to build this wall. And then one of the things they did was they tunneled in an outside water source. It's actually underground. That's interesting to me. But part of that was so that the enemy wouldn't poison their water that was coming into the city. So they got all this human reasoning and they're working through all of this. They did all these things and more, but it was all self-salvation. And it's a false security. They're doing all of these things without trusting God along the way and asking for God to guide them and God to lead them. Do we ever do that? Even as followers of Christ. Do we ever begin to solve our own problems without trusting God or going to God along the way? Kind of goes back to the, have you ever made poor choices and then suffered the poor consequences because of that? It's because we try to operate in and of ourselves and it's a false security. One thing I think is interesting too is it addresses this in Isaiah 19 and Isaiah 20. Judah begins to cozy up to Egypt. And you think about God's people and you think about the nation of Egypt that's a nation that used to hold them in slavery. And part of them wanting to be protected, they begin to cozy up to a nation that used to enslave them so that they might be protected. Now I want you to think of the application of this for today. God redeems us 
from a life of sin. And we're chained to that sin, but God sets us free. And we begin to walk in this freedom that God brings into our life. And as we navigate the cares and concerns of our life, you know what can happen? Just like Judah going and cozying back up with what once held it in slavery, believers go back to these sin struggles to get chained again and to carry around this sin baggage that God has intended to set them free of. God desires us to put our trust and our security in Him and not in all these other things. Think of all the things people run to except for God. This is where that title of this message came. We go to everything but God. And He's there to give us a true sense of security and fulfillment and purpose, and yet we go to all this other stuff that locks us like we're slaves. For those who aren't in Christ yet, they're still in those chains. They haven't been set free. And all this stuff of the world that they accumulate, and they're self-sufficient, they think they've got this uh, life pretty well figured out, they're blinded to the fact that they're missing one of the greatest things. And that is salvation from their sin. They might think they have all that they need. Why do I need God? I'm self-sufficient. I've got a good job. I've got a nice family. I've got all kinds of money. I'm successful. You can have all of those things and still be headed for destruction because you don't have Christ. I think deep down inside, people try to fill all these voids in their life with all this other stuff, everything but God, and they continue this search process. I need this to fulfill me. I need this to fulfill me. And things get bigger and more grand and more expensive. We're, we're driving fancier cars. We're buying bigger homes. This will make me happy. Does anybody else see this stuff going on, or is this just me? Maybe you have all that stuff, and you're just happy. Happy, happy, happy. It's all false security. And this fulfillment that will leave you empty. We go to everything but God. Not only was the nation going to all these things materialistically, but there was even two palace administrators that get mentioned by name later on in Isaiah 22. One of them is Shebna, and the other one is Eliakim. And Shebna is ousted because he's caught up in all the materialism and he's not doing his job the way God would desire. So, out you go. And I bet at one point in his life, he was like, I'm pretty successful. I'm the palace administrator. Look at all this success. Look at all this wealth. Look at all this fame. And then all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. And then comes another guy. And he's faithful for a season, but then it's like, as I described earlier, you're over here and then you go back to some of this stuff. 
he begins to get caught up in the materialism and his own security rather than trusting in God. And in verse 25 of this chapter, it says that the time will come when I will pull out the nail that seems so firm. So all of us, if you can just imagine what hangs on your life. If God was to pull that nail out, what would happen? And it says to Eliakim, that nail will come out and everything with it will fall. What is our life hanging on? And when we come to trust God when it comes to material things and His provision, there's a balancing act, isn't there? Because there's things in our life we need, we need help, we need provision, we need these things, and God wants to provide those things rather than us go to all this other stuff. And we need to be reminded of His promises in Scripture. And our memory verse this past week was Philippians 4.19. It says, God will meet all your needs. Just with me, can you repeat after me? All your needs. All of them. God doesn't just provide for some of your needs. He provides for all of your needs. You either trust Him in that promise, or you don't. That's really what it comes down to. So when we don't trust that God does provide, we begin to do all kinds of goofy stuff. We begin to partake in the worldly things and not what God would desire. Jesus Himself says in Matthew 6.33 that we should seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and then guess what? All your needs will be provided for. In Psalm 91, verse 2, the psalmist says, I'll say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We talk about rubber hitting the road here. This is, this is a, just a thought this past week on my end. How many of you are just filled with joy when you're filling up your vehicle with gas? Anybody? No hands. Okay. Does God provide all your needs? I would love for gas prices to go back down. But I can't let that ruin my day. I was filling up this week and some guy came over to kind of razz me about the price of gas. And when I got done, I said, oh, shoot. I said, I didn't get it to $100 this time. <laughs> you know, like it's a game. And you can get so bugged about this stuff, and the rubber hits the road there. It, it is a season and a time and place that we're in where things are expensive. Does God provide for your needs? Yes. You can either land on that or you can be like the nation of Judah and you can go try to build your own kingdom, your own sense of security. Or you can trust in God. So you can smile when you're pumping. Praise the Lord. He's going to provide. How many have mixed emotions about that right now? Yeah? 
a little bit. But this is, this is where it hits the road, right here. Does God provide for me? And there's a bit of a condition, because in Matthew 6.33, Jesus says that He'll provide as you seek Him first and His righteousness. If you're not doing those things, I'm telling you right now, do not expect God to show up for your needs. All our needs are provided for in Christ Jesus. So as we seek first the kingdom and we seek first His righteousness, He provides every need. So in the midst of this, there's a call to repent. I love that about God. He's like, I'm not just going to leave you there. I want you to change. That's what repent means, to change. It's not just to say I'm sorry, but it's that my life is going to move in a new direction. We're changing. And in verse 12, God's saying, I called you to weep and to mourn, but instead, this is verse 13, instead you dance and you play and you say, let's feast. Let's drink. Let's live it up. God desires us to change, but I'm not concerned about that. I'm living it up. That's the issue here with Judah, and that's an issue for us today because as believers, if we continue to walk in a sin struggle that is not being addressed, that's not being changed, you know what happens? You get twisted into a pretzel. And Satan will feed that sin struggle and he will try to destroy your life and rob you of your joy. And your quality of life diminishes because you continue to walk in this area that God desires you to be set free from. Repent of it. Come to Him. Are we genuinely wanting to change? Or are we enjoying our sin way too much? Again, you think of those who are not in Christ. They're so distracted by the things of the world. They're not ready to give their life to Jesus. They'd much rather spend their time on all these things that really don't matter. They're unconcerned. They live it up. We want a party. All the way to destruction. So self-indulgence. These people are blinded. Several years ago, I gave a story that um, took place in California. And 25 years ago or so, there was some fierce winds that brought up this dust storm, and it triggered a massive freeway pileup. And topsoil whipped at around 50 mile an hour. We've seen a little bit of that before in this area, right? And it reduced the visibility down to zero. And cars are just barreling through, and they're getting in these accidents where there's over 100 vehicles in this pileup that spans for over three miles. Okay, some cars were stacked on top of each other, even 100 yards off of the freeway. 17 people were killed in this pileup, and 150 people were injured. And unable to see their way... Motorists continued to drive blindly into this. 
not knowing what lies ahead. This is our world we live in today. Do they know what's coming? Now I want you to imagine yourself being near that freeway on that day and you're a mile before the tragic scene. Are you going to be just like kicking rocks on the medium? Like, oh, there goes another car. But they have no idea what's coming. What are you going to be doing? Are you going to try to stop them? Are you going to try to flag them down? Try to communicate? You, you don't want to go that way. There's something inside of us that would there just be a tension. We want to try to keep people safe, right? Now think about that in the spiritual realm. There are people flying incredibly fast down the interstate of life, headed for destruction, and what are we doing about it? Is there any warning? Are you feeling led to speak up and share about what's lying ahead? And that there's one who desires to save them from that wreckage? Those aren't the most enjoyable conversations, right? Because we, we don't want to be awkward about it. What do they think if I tell them about what lies ahead? Will it get awkward? Will it get weird? Yeah, it probably will. But I'm telling you right now, you won't regret it if it somehow saves them from destruction. Are we pressed to do something? And I close with this. These are serious matters. In verse 14, it talks about how this judgment upon Israel will not be forgiven. This has been determined. Okay? Is there a certain point in my life where the judgment is sealed? Any guidance on that? When is it sealed? When I die. I can't go back to last Wednesday and say, when that person shared Christ with me, I want to go back there and, and give my life to Jesus since now I'm faced with eternity. This is serious stuff. And God wants us to be a part of sharing salvation with others. If we're a believer, I want you to know that if there's people who give us warning about things that we're involved in that are not pleasing to God, you would do well to listen to that. Because hardness of heart is a very scary thing. God wants you to have an abundant life in Christ, but if you continue to hang on to sin and walk in the hardness of heart, you're going to walk through some unnecessary hardship that could be prevented. And for those who are not yet in Christ, understand that there is a, a final day where you'll take your last breath and then you'll be faced with eternity. And if you're without Christ, when you take that last breath, you'll be without Christ for eternity. It's final. There's no second chances. This is a serious matter. The Bible also talks about how, for those who are not in Christ, if you continue to hear this message about bringing Christ into your life and you don't respond to it, there's a hardness that begins to form in your life to a point where the lights go out.
Meaning that God's grace extended toward you and trying to bring you in into the kingdom. There's a serious nature to the hardness of heart. So we consider all these things here today, and I just simply walk through some response questions for all of us. The first one is this. Is anybody walking through a hardship right now that was caused by your own bad decisions? If that's you, I just encourage you to go to the Lord with that matter. Ask Him to forgive you of those bad decisions that were not pleasing to Him. And ask Him to help you to get a fresh start. God will redeem these situations. God loves it when we come to Him and ask for forgiveness and desire to change and turn in His direction rather than all this stuff that we get ourselves caught up in. Another question for us is what are our priorities? We said everything but God. Let's just consider what our priorities are. Is God first with our priorities? Another question for us, is there any area of our life where we need to repent? As the Holy Spirit is speaking into our lives, He sees everything we're doing. He knows the things that are not pleasing to God. What are they? Do you need to ask the Lord for forgiveness? And then the last thing, guys, is we need to take these matters serious. We need to take serious the fact that there are people who are headed for destruction and we carry this salvation message with us. We don't hold VBS to just babysit a bunch of kids for a week. We hold VBS because we want to see people who are pulled out of darkness and placed with purpose in Christ, with a hope and a future, not a future that's filled with destruction. That's why we host VBS. Because we want to grow in Christ, not just to have several mornings where we exhaust a bunch of volunteers and hold a babysitting clinic for a solid morning. We take these matters serious because they are. So as we reflect on all these different things today, I want to close this time now with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me right now? Father, I thank you for this time together. I believe that this message to me and to others is a word of warning, a call to repentance, a call for change if there's areas in our life that need changed, and also a call to take matters of eternity serious. And as we consider those things, I'm asking the question right now to all of us as we're praying Are you ready for heaven? If you took your final breath right now on this earth, would your next breath be with Christ? If there's any uncertainty with that question, I encourage you to settle that question here today by responding to the gift of salvation that God desires to give you. If you desire that today, I'm asking you to pray with me in your heart to receive him and say, Jesus, today I surrender. 
I need forgiveness of my sin that separates me from you. Please forgive me and set me free from sin, death, destruction, and place me on a path of victory in Jesus Christ. Today, by grace through faith, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Help me to walk out this journey in the ways that you desire. Help me to serve you and to serve others in your kingdom. And for all of us, Lord, as we respond to today's message, help us to take kingdom matters seriously. Help us to take sin seriously and desire, Lord, to walk in purity and in your ways. And Lord, if there's any of us that are walking through circumstances that came from poor decisions, Lord, I pray that you would redeem those as we reach out to you in faith, asking for your help. You're a God who redeems. You're a God who restores. May we look to you. May we place our trust in you. And not in all these things that give false hope, false security, and a false purpose. Help us to trust in you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.